Yo. I just yawned. And, uh, you know, we're going to get to something that will help me get over that yawning in a second. But um, I, I need another yo. I, I need another. Yeah, yo. I need yo. Yo. There it is. That was a mighty yo. Much better. Today. Uh, so this is the Where It Went podcast where normally. I don't even want to say normally. Typically. We do whatever we want. Usually. Yeah. Usually we are discussing the Revelation Records catalog in chronological order. Today, we have another detour. We found a couple of friends, longtime friend of the pod, Tim McMahon, and supporter of the pod, first-time caller, Tony Retman. And Jason, what are we talking about on this episode? Today, we're talking about the zine that Tony and Tim put together. Um, in 1989, K was issue number one. In 1990, was issue number two. They interviewed a bunch of Revelation-related bands and also some New Jersey favorites like Vision and Turning Point. Um, we're now it, on Rev anyway. so they Yeah, you're right. Good point. Yeah, there's a lot of connections to Rev here. I mean, this is not just like some random hardcore thing we're doing. Mouthpiece had their discography on Revelation Records. That's right. right. Uh, Can't Kill What's Inside. Is that, isn't that the name of it? Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in about four years or something. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Tony also had a book released through Revelation Records, the um, Detroit Hardcore, Why, yeah. Why Be Something You're Not. Uh, so this is not like just us. We didn't need to grasp at any straws. Yeah, this is this the, is the this straws is were all handed to us. One hundred percent rev adjacent. So yeah. it's like if we're driving in the fast lane with our podcast, these guys are just cruising. Well, maybe they're in the slow lane or in the carpool lane. I don't know. You're that. taking yeah. a road trip. You want to stop at that record store? Yeah, why not? It's on the way. Pull off it's, at Wawa. Exactly. Get a coffee yeah. with two creamers and uh, no sugar. No sugar. And Shout out Delco. Delco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and maybe get some water ice after. Hey, before we get too deep into our discussion, though, I it, it's already time to <laughs> shout it. I liked it. I liked our dead milk one time. So, like um, I said, no, hey, I have already had over two fluid cups of coffee this morning. And I got to tell you, that's not enough. I need some I've more had three. coffee. You've had three... Three fluid cups or three like cups? I've, yo, I wish I had the integrity mug that Hob just held up, but I've got this size. This is probably, we're not going to say what's written on my mug. Anyway, what's, what's poured into these mugs is this delicious black gold liquid <laughs> called coffee that we all enjoy. And we're lucky enough to be uh sponsored on this episode by our friends at essex coffee roasters greg why don't you tell us a little bit about essex coffee sure. essex coffee roasters owned by uh by um aaron dalbeck from you may remember him from converge up till the jane doe era bain one of my personal favorites and be well currently one of my new personal favorites uh, he is uh, behind Essex Coffee Roasters. If you go to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, you can check out an assortment of different made-to-order 
basically, you know, made to order beans, uh, ethically sourced beans. Uh, and you can use the code where it went for 10% off. People should check it out, order some coffee. I'm actually, I'm out of mine. I had, I had, uh, I had finished the hell minded, um, bit of bow to hell minded records brew. Um, so today I had a, a Wawa coffee, which is good, but it doesn't hit the same. You know, um, I'm, I'm not opposed no. to gas station coffee at all. Um, I'd rather have gas station coffee or like, if you've ever been to like, um, convention or like a work meeting or something like that. And they just have like regular, I'd rather have any of this than Starbucks, to be honest. Javier, Yo. I can't believe that I wholeheartedly agree with you. Like I would rather, I, I, I will take Dunkin' Donuts, Wawa coffee. I love Wawa. Yo, Dunkin's pretty good. Dunkin' got Dunkin some is good iced coffee. I would take that all that over a Starbucks. Iced coffee is good. Starbucks, it's just not good coffee. I do nah. enjoy their passion tea lemonade. And when I was in Houston recently, flying home from Florida, the only thing at the airport was Starbucks. And I needed a coffee, so I got a latte, an iced vanilla latte it wasn't bad but it wasn't good either but i gotta tell you i would just rather have a black cup of mexican coffee from uh essex coffee roasters than oh, anything, anything mentioned here yeah. but if you it, do go to starbucks.com and use the code where it went you will not save any money Mm. and uh, they'll kick you out immediately yeah, you, be like, what be are you doing here banned from their website so <laughs> that you'll never be tempted again to buy their coffee and essex also has a monthly subscription so if you want to just take all of the thought and worry out of it and just get a bag of coffee in the mail every month then the subscription actually saves you like a dollar per bag and I think that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, and I wish a, I had a subscription because a, I would I would have had some fresh coffee. This a week. really good way. And also, if you happen to be listening to this and you own a coffee shop, like, why wouldn't you want to carry, you know, a nice, like, brand of coffee that people will want and you can sell? It's like a good thing to carry. Just, you know, they do offer wholesale and they also have merch on the website. It's 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 cool. I mean, I I'm a Essex Coffee Roasters fan. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Or as Jason would say, no, <laughs> a fuck boy, <laughs> an Essex Roasters Coffee fuck boy. <laughs> uh, I'll take that. I'll I'm take that title. To, I'm glad we get to throw some shine on these guys. And we always say that we love when hardcore kids do something cool in the real world. Um, if we're going to talk coffee, also give a shout out to Slow Bloom Coffee here in Redlands, California. They're worth checking out as well. And um, I want to give a shout out to Heartwork Coffee. Oh, I was at Heartwork last yeah. week. Oh, no, Jealous. I, I, I didn't get to go. I didn't get to go. I was in San Diego last week. It was a Sunday. They close at three on Sunday. And my brunch went a little bit late. I was at Bar Kindred, um, which is a great vegan like bar. Ate some food there. It was too late to go to Heartwork. So we went to this spot called Holy Matcha. That's like an all matcha shop. And I got a vegan matcha horchata with, a, with cold brew in it. And it was 
okay, but I got to be real. I love Heartwork. I love their beans. I just did, I, you know, they had a bag with youth code. Um, they have really cool seasonal stuff. And Rob Moran is uh, a friend of the pod. So got to get them. I can't wait to, I can't out. wait to get out there and, uh, and try. directly next door to Heartwork is a really good record store called M theory, which would be right up your alley. Knowing what you guys like for music M theory is a, a good record store to he hit. He sold so, me, man. Yeah, so okay. we could spend like, you know, a couple hours on that block. So yeah, uh, Essex Coffee Roasters, use the code where it went uh, and you'll save 10%. You're supporting uh, a great business. A portion of their proceeds go to charity. Everybody wins. Um, people use the code. It looks like people listen to us. It's great. But speaking of records... At the end of this episode, uh, we're going to be premiering a song by a band from California called Tuning, um, who have already a full length on Indecision Records. I know that hits close to home for both of you guys. Javier is a longtime friend of of Dave Mandel's. Jason is not only a friend of Dave Mandel's, but... um, Indecision alumni, indecision alumni, um, yeah, with his band Count Me Out. But uh, Tuning have a new EP uh, that will be coming out. Uh, so you'll be hearing this, and then the pre orders start a few days after you hear this song. So it gives you a little bit of time to digest it. Um, pre orders will start on June 7th. Um, it is a five song 12 inch called A Beacon in Impossible Seas. The song you'll be hearing is called Pacific. Um, I have to say, no joke, even before we were asked to premiere this, I had the, the fortune of hearing the record. It is so goddamn good. Um, it's just, it's the way I like my hardcore. It's got like, uh, you know, I hear verbal assault in it. I hear, um, you know, Dag Nasty, but also some heavier stuff. Um it's really good. It includes, um, they cover inside out, which is cool because it's one of the unrecorded songs. Oh, um, and the, and the way it fits on the record, like they just make it sound like, uh, like their song. Uh, it's got great lyrics. Uh, the singer, Jeremy, I think he's got an awesome voice. It's just very impassioned. I, I, tr- and, and I saw the, the layout looks cool. Like, I can't say enough good things about this. Like if you like hardcore, if you like, you know, a little bit of melody in it, but still that grit, you got to check out tuning, uh, their album on indecisions. Great. This steps it up. Um, I see big things on the horizon for this band. And I'm really excited that we were offered the opportunity to premiere, uh, this song Pacific. So definitely stick around after the interview and, Give it a listen and let us know what you think. Yeah. And so talking to Tony Rettman in this episode, if you want to check out any of Tony Rettman's books, um, he wrote a book called NYHC, which stands for New York Hardcore, 1980, 1989. Um, He wrote a book called Why Be Something You're Not or Why Be Something That You're Not. I I have it on the shelf, but... I don't have wireless headphones. Uh, And that's about Detroit hardcore. And then his thick 
thick book t-h-i-c-c i was just gonna say <laughs> straight edge a clear-headed hardcore punk history um which has a forward by Siv. And all of these are available on a website called Bazillion Points. I'm sure we'll be featuring it in our Instagram stories. Also, Bazillion Points has a couple other books that interest me. Uh, the Slayer Magazine Diaries. I have that book, and it's like four inches thick. And then the Nancy Burrill book, I'm Not Holding Your Coat, which I think is already on its second pressing yeah. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff over at Bazillion Points you can check out. Um, there's no code. You just buy the fucking book and you read it, or you just buy the book and keep it on your shelf like me and Jason. And, um, <laughs> That's what I feel like I do half the time now is just buy the books and it just it looks real nice. You know, post it on the gram, get a couple of likes. Yeah. Maybe never read them, but yeah. hey, you got you bought it. You bought it. I got <laughs> a nice, I got a nice collection, I got a nice shelf down the, here some cool by stuff. the way the book and and this one was pressed by revelation was called why be something that you're not mm-hmm. uh colon detroit hardcore 1979 to 1985 nice so uh, speaking hey, of tony why don't we let's just kick it get into the interview with uh tim and tony kick it. um enjoy kick it So we're here today. We took another detour. We were driving, trying to get to Sensefield, killed for less. We pulled to the side of the road last week and um, talked with uh, Garrett and Drew from New Rising Suns. And then we were about to get back on the highway. And we had a we decided to pull over again because we are here with Tim McMahon. Hello. Been on, been on here a uh, couple times with us, chatting it up. And uh, Tony Retman. What's up, Tony? Hey, how's it going? Um, and we are here to talk about their zine, uh, fanzine from, I guess, what, 89 to 90? What's, what's the time? Yeah. Very so, short lifespan. <laughs> 89 called, to 90, that's it, yeah. Called yeah. Common Sense. We just yeah, figured, sure. you know talk about to these guys about uh, the zine and about hardcore would mm-hmm. make for a nice convo so thanks for joining us guys yeah no thanks for having me looking forward to it so i guess my first question would be <clears throat> how did how did you two guys connect um well yeah, i'll I, tell I, i'll tell what i remember and then tony you can kind of chime in um okay. so like I got into skateboarding like around like 1985 had like a Nash Nash executioner and I had a local friend named Chris and um, we just skated around the neighborhood, whatever. And I remember one day me and Chris saw what ended up being Tony skating around the neighborhood. um, And what he was doing was collecting money for his paper route. And, um, but we had never seen him before. Like you don't see strangers just like riding through your neighborhood. So it was, felt really weird. <laughs> I remember like, we kind of like, we kind of hunted him down and tried to follow him, like, you know, hide behind trees and stuff like who that. Who is that guy? You know? <laughs> and we saw him like turn on a street 
<clears throat> obviously we didn't follow him all the way to his house, but we saw him turn onto his street and, 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 uh, that happened a couple times. And then, um, and then one day I think he was just skating and I wasn't with my friend Chris. And from what I remember, me and him, me and Tony just kind of ended up like, Hey, what's up, man? You skate? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I skate. And I just remember Tony was like, he was like the little, he was like the, the, uh, you know, like the, the weirdo in the, in the van, like, come on in my van. He says to me, Hey, uh, I got a, I got a bunch of stickers in my house. Are you interested in stickers? And I was like, huh? He's like, yeah, I got a bunch of skate stickers. And it was really, it was strange. I, Tony, you tell me if that's wrong, but that's what I remember. And then you were like, yeah, you can yeah. come to my house and I'll give you some stickers. And <clears throat> I mean, we talked on the corner for a few minutes and then, um, you know, he was, I remember him asking me like, what kind of music are you, are you into? And I'm like, ah, oh, I, um, you know, I was probably listening to, uh, the Miami voice soundtrack at the time. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I had gotten Thrasher, so I was, I was reading about bands, but like, it really wasn't accessible for me to buy some of that stuff that I was reading about. So like, I kind of had an idea what some of the stuff was, but not like, didn't have my head wrapped around it in any like legitimate way. And, um, and so Tony's like telling me about like punk and I mean, you know, hardcore and standing on this corner for whatever, 15 minutes. And then he's like, you know, if you want, you come back to my house and I'll, I got some skate stickers I got and, um, you know, I'll show you some records. And I was like, all right, cool. So I followed him back to his house and, and <clears throat> the first record I remember him pulling out was the, the dead Kennedys record with the penis landscape, uh, <laughs> poster in it. And it was uh, like, you're really painting me in a great light here. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, take a look at this. And I was like, yeah. what is that? I don't even know what that is. Jesus. Like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh my God, like a record has, has this kind of stuff in it, you know? Um, and then I remember you pulling out the, the executioner record, which I don't even know why you pulled that out because I don't know why I had that. That record. wasn't. That wasn't like a punk or hardcore record. It was just a, a a weird metal record. Yeah, you know, with with a with a drawing of like a guy, an executioner on the cover with a bunch of severed heads. And yeah, I mean, he. I think Tony just said, "I am going to show this kid the most shocking shit possible." <laughs> and he uh, around, he's yeah, a keeper. No, no, no. yeah, right. And I was like, "Show me more," you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember him putting on the executioner record, and I'm like, "I don't know that I like this, but this is really fascinating." Um, yeah. And the only, uh, the only reason I, mean, I had that executioner record was they played a show at city gardens with like, I forget who else was on the bill and mm -hmm. they, I don't know, they had that record and I bought it. <laughs> that was about it. That was the ending. Yeah. The beginning and ending of it. But anyway, right. yeah. what, what dead Kennedy's record is that that comes with the poster? Is Frank it a um, Christ? Frank and Christ. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Which is right. like a, the, a weird like that's like to me, it's such a weird Dead Kennedys record too. Like yeah. that's that's another yeah. one where I feel like if that was the first one you heard, you might be like, huh. I don't know it, if that. I mean, which which album has the uh, like MTV Get Off the Air? Uh, what, what, oh, it is. Okay, so I guess you did put that yeah. on because I remember the the line about um who was the MTV VJ that they talk about um Martha Quinn or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, I was fully immersed in that whole like MTV scene, so. I remember him pointing that out to me. I was like, Oh wow, damn, this is fucking, this is pretty fucking crazy, man. And, and, uh, I remember, 
I remember um, Slayer. I remember, and it's funny because Tony was certainly not like a metalhead at all. But no. I remember him pulling out, pulling out Slayer, um, Rain and Blood, which yeah. he had he had just gotten. And uh, I remember him like, dude, listen to this. It is the fastest record you'll ever hear in your life. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'll be the judge. I'll be the judge of that. And he put it on, and it was it was really I, the fastest thing I'd ever heard in my life. It was fucking yeah. crazy. And he's, you know, show, show me the cover and the fucking, you know, priest with a boner and all this stuff. And it was just <laughs> shocking after shocking after shocking after shocking. Mm-hmm. Musically, visually. Um, I mean, like, you know, I had come from a scene where it was just like really pretty, pretty, um, pretty clean cut skateboarding, you know, Nash Executioner's vision, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I come to Tony's house and it was like his walls were covered in flyers and posters and, uh, you know, circle jerks, posters and all kinds of shit, you know? So I'm getting this like, uh, you know, lesson on just a culture that I knew nothing about. And it was extremely shocking because everything was so extreme. Like it, it wasn't just like, Oh, here's a picture of a band and a guy jumping. It was just like, Here's a fucking priest with a boner. Here's head severed. Here's dicks going in the asshole. Uh, you know, it, here's, here's, you know, shit about, I don't know, what, whatever, you know, you get, yeah, I yeah. think I'm painting the picture here, but like, it wasn't only that. I mean, it was just so like, um, you know, just all the flyers on the wall. I just remember looking at, you know, Tony lived in a, in a, um, in a top level of a, of a house where like the, his, his roof, uh, his ceiling was like the shape of the roof. So like yeah. it was at an angle and the walls were just completely covered like wall to wall like flyers. And I just remember like looking at every flyer and just, I, there was just so much to look at. There was so much to look at. And, um, you know, somewhere in, in that mix, you know, he, he pulled out zines and, and I remember like, but you know, that I'm talking about as if this was one um, stop at his house. I'm sure this was a, a multitude of stops. You know what I mean? Because after the one time it was, you know, it was, Oh, come on over, you know, and it was just became a, a normal thing. But um, I remember, I remember him like showing me and talking about like local dudes that did zines and, you know, this scene sucks and eventually like uh, skate for a rate and, um, uh, you know, and then just tons of other zines, you know, uh, Jersey beat and dagger. And, and of course, like showing, you know, um, maximum rock and rolls and flip sides and all kinds of just, you know, different kinds of zines and stuff like that. So, uh, and again, it was just, this was a whole new, uh, thing that I knew nothing about, you know, fanzines. I knew about Thrasher. I knew about Transworld. Um, I didn't know about homemade, uh, black and white cut and paste, um, you know, fanzines. It, it was totally new world for me. So what's, uh, I don't know. <clears throat> what's, what's the age difference between you guys? Just a couple of years, probably. Uh, yeah. Two years, I believe two years. And isn't two that great? Like yeah. that kind of goes to what we were talking about before we started recording, like just how two year in, you know, when you're that young, <clears throat> two years is, can be an eternity yeah. of time. Like you were going to shows, Tony, you mm-hmm. were, you know, having flyers, you already were in, into punk and hardcore and only two years difference well for you know i don't want to speak for tony but for you know he i mean one thing that he told me when i met him probably standing on that that corner was 
you know, my brother works at Princeton Record Exchange. My brother is into punk and hardcore. My brother is a DJ at City Gardens. You know, my brother brought, brought me to see Black Flag. I mean, like, his brother introduced him, and who's, yeah. who's multi, you know, multiple years older than him, to all yeah. this stuff. And um, I don't even think your brother was living with you at the time when we met. Moved out by then. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, you saw Black it, Flag? It, Let's go back right? to that real quick. You saw Black Flag? I saw Black Flag nine times. Including, oh. uh, I saw the show that was Venom, Black Flag, and Overkill. That's the My War? Was that the My War tour? Uh, that was later. That was like loosen up. But the first punk show my brother ever took me to, and I think this is funny because, again, it shows like how quickly things were moving. Uh, it was Black Flag, Saccharin Trust, and October Faction. It was like the SS, like just, you know, SST bands that's how they tore. They were just like a package thing. So that was the first punk show I ever saw. And to me, it was the most unpunk thing in the world. Cause I was just like, <laughs> why is this singer have long hair and have shorty shorts on? Like it was totally uh, confusing to me, but I was only 11 years old. So cut me a break. Uh, so as time went on, they like black flag played like every year in Trenton. So, and sometimes twice a year. So since my brother worked at City Gardens, I saw like all those shows. The like the Venom, the Venom show was like '86 or something. So yeah, that was like right around when they were about to break up. So it was like in my yeah, it was like the in my head tour. Right. Didn't so, they sample that uh, Venom show for the Beastie Boys? Yeah. Well, that's taken oh, yeah. off of what that is. Is uh, that dude who was Black Flag's roadie who, who like died? Uh, what was his name? Joe Cole. Yeah. He recorded all that on a like on a little whatever on a walkman recorder and he gave it to thurston Moore from sonic youth who cut out all the music and just did the banter and he pressed it on like a one-sided seven inch okay so, yeah that's where they got that uh got that from the but, you're wild man you're wild man you're wild, wild. Man, you're wild. and yeah. uh, <laughs> what's it like this comes from where venom comes from he's holding up like a, he was holding up a newcastle brown ale and he's like Newcastle Brown Ale, knock you on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I love that seven inch. There's one part where he's like, you just hear a guy in the crowd screaming for uh, some song. And it's like, he just keeps like going in his dumb rant about Satan or whatever. And you just hear some guy like, bloodlust, bloodlust. <laughs> screaming bloodlust while he's like, so, you know, doing some dumb rap about Satan. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that seven inch is great. I got to hunt that down. So. Yeah. Were you, your parents were cool with you being 11 and getting taken to city guard? I guess they're like, well, you're with your brother or did they just not know? The house, He's weird. Uh, I think they just, I, it's funny because I, I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny. I don't even think they were paying attention that closely because it wasn't until like 20 years later that something, somebody was talking about city gardens at like a family gathering. And my mom was like, Oh yeah, I heard that place was bad. I was like, I spent every weekend from 12 to 17 there and she was like ah hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, was, go, sorry, ahead, go ahead go ahead sorry sorry i was gonna ask was that the first time that you saw a zine was that one of those city garden shows uh well before i mean technically like i guess in trenton all age at some point uh all ages shows were i guess illegal or something i don't know what they were so that guy that put on shows at City Gardens, uh, Randy Now, in the beginning was having like a matinee style show at this place called New York South, which was 
Florence, New Jersey, which is like total Hicksville. Okay. Uh, so he would have the shows, the daytime shows there, and then the nighttime show would be uh, the 21 over be at City Garden. So all ages shows didn't happen actually at City Garden, so maybe another year or two later, like 86 or something. But um, so technically, I guess I'm just being a nerd. The first time I did see Zines was at New York South when I, my brother would take me to those shows because he DJed those. Um, so yeah, that's where I first saw them. And they were like, you know, I was, again, I was 11 or 12 years old. I, was, I wasn't, didn't have a lot of money burning a hole in my pocket. So a zine was a dollar. You know what I mean? Like I could walk away with an artifact from this experience. You know what I mean? So yeah. that was, yeah, that's what I gravitated towards just because I could afford them. And then like, I started to like kind of collect them and decide I wanted to do my own. It seemed like the easiest way to like work my way in to the operation, if that makes any sense. Like I was too young to start a band. I wanted, I want to be a part of it. And uh, yeah. yeah, it seemed like the easiest way. And to it was, in. it was, re- I mean, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Tony, but it seemed like it was really like happening around this area. Now, maybe it was happening all over the country like this, but like, you know, you had, you know, faith, John Levine's faith fanzine and Bob Conrad's this scene sucks. And, and yeah. Eric Santizi, I mean, um, you know, there like multiple dudes from our high school were doing zines. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was something that like we all knew about. It was, it was very like, um, relevant in, yeah. in the area. It wasn't, it wasn't like we only saw zines that we saw, you know, from shows. I mean, you could literally uh, pick up a zine in high school. I, I wasn't in high school yet at that point, but, um, and we'll get to, we'll get to a story at some point where, when I was, I guess Tony, you were in high school, but I was in junior high, and the zine scene had become so popular that there was literally about four or five kids doing zines in my junior high school. And um, I mean, zines that had <clears throat> that they didn't even understand what punk and hardcore was. Um, uh, do, do we talk about it now? Are <laughs> <laughs> oh, you talking about like Iranian? Yes, of course, Iranian, Iranian terrorism. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, we can get it, to that later, maybe. Okay, all right, all right. We can get <laughs> if, to it if later. Really needed, we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find it. Uh, I mean, it's kind of fascinating to think about, you know, kids that were, you know, uh, twelve, thirteen years old, like putting together zines. Yeah. And there were so many of us in the area. It was just such a. It just seemed like the thing to do at one point. Yeah, and I think, uh, like, as far as that area of like Ewing, like suburban Trenton. Um, there was a zine that was like 80, 83 to 85 called no place to hide. That was actually pretty cool. If like, I think some of the issues are online, but I had like cool photos, whatever. Um, so that I think was like the first thing, but then, yeah, I would who say like, John, pardon me. Who, who did that zine? Uh, a, I, I feel bad. It was, uh, it was a woman whose name I don't recall, but. From but also, like the other people that did it were in this band that I guess were like the first hardcore band from our area um, called mm-hmm. Feudal Effort. Oh yeah, yeah, know them. Yeah, and they they like were I guess staff for it. But that oh. one guy who sang for um, Feudal Effort, his name was Greg, no, still is uh, Greg Lick, and he mm-hmm. he um, he did like scene reports too for like MRR because that's how. Uh, I found out like I was going through an old issue at MRR and saw these photos and saw he had the credit. And this was like, whatever, uh, I guess, right, right when I was doing the New York hardcore book. Okay. So I got in touch with him 
like through Facebook. And I was like, Hey, do you still have all those photos by any chance? And that was when he was like, Hey, that's, he was just like, that's weird. I just got them all. Cause they were on disc, the disc cameras. He oh, sent yeah. a way to get them all like made into negatives. And he sent me all the, the, he sent me a file of all the photos. So it kind of worked out. It was weird. Like I saw those photos when I was like 11 years old, like, you know, scratching my chin. Like, I wonder what this abused band sounds like. They look cool, you know? And then, yeah. you know, fast forward 90 million years later and, you know, I have these color photos in front of me, but um, anyway, yeah, those were the, they did no place to hide. And then, um, yeah. And, uh, but I would say John Levine was like the catalyst for that revive like thing in our, in our area or neighborhood or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it seemed like it was like, John and then Bob, this guy, Bob Conrad started a zine called this scene sucks. Uh, Eric Zantai did stranger. And like, yeah, it just started to build and build and, and build. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And it all revolved around city gardens and like, you know, in that area in our, where we grew up, it, there wasn't many like independent hardcore shows. If, like, that's what you want to call it. Like it was mostly centered on city gardens. Maybe once in a while, John Levine would throw like a, a show at a VFW hall or something like that. But it was all definitely centered around city gardens. Yeah. Like city gardens was uh, like a 10 minute drive from where Tony and I lived. Um, yeah. So, it, and, and like our high school was 10 minutes away from there. So city gardens was like the happening place, meaning it wasn't just punk and hardcore kids that would go there. It was like anybody in the neighborhood, you know, any kids that like went to the high school would end up there. You know, I, I, I I've talked about this before, like seven seconds would play city gardens, and everybody kind of just heard the name seven seconds at some point. They were just a popular band. And I remember just like preppies, like showing up in high school with seven second shirts. Uh, yeah. I remember pagan babies uh, who, you know, certainly yeah. weren't like a huge band, but I remember yeah. in high school, like multiple dudes walk in the hallways on a Monday after, you know, uh, pagan babies played city gardens wearing pagan baby shirts and just yeah. being like holy shit this is this is weird you know because yeah i'm like do they have the seven inch they probably don't even know what yeah. the seven inch well, you know yeah, what label the seven inches that. Are. yeah in my mind i have this weird memory like memory or like this is like i know everybody like once they get older like like com- compartmentalize things in the way of like then this is when this happened on this date but mm-hmm. i do remember like a circle jerk show that happened like it was like a couple days after new year's eve like it was like after new year's day and uh i was had my little spot in the dj booth with my brother and as like you know i could see how um when the first couple people started to trickle into city gardens you know like you see them yeah. coming in right. and i remember there were all these kids that were like from our high school and i just remember being like what the fuck is this like I was yeah just, yeah they were all people i'm like i'm pretty sure you you know call me the f word in gym at some point <laughs> like you know like Right, of course. Yeah, that's the kind of thing where I was like, what the hell is going on here? But then it did, it became like, yeah, like an event in that, in the same way that like someone would go see Journey or Def Leppard at that point in their life. They were just going because all their friends were going and hey, I'll buy a t-shirt, you know? Yeah. That kind of thing. That's how it down. This jumps ahead a uh, a couple years, but um, I remember being up front for Judge, I believe at the video shoot show. And I remember... This, this dude uh, who was just kind of, I mean, like he was a nice dude, but he was kind of like a Guido type dude, um, Dan Grinaldi. <laughs> and, and he was, he, he was just a dude that went to our school and, um, you know, kind of knew of this stuff because he had friends that were into it, but he really wasn't that into it. And yeah. like, I just looked to my right and 
he's there up front. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing here, Dan? He's like, dude, it's fucking judge, man. I'm fucking here raging brother. You know? And I'm like, ah, okay, cool. You know? Um, but that's, we're just sort of painting the picture of like what the scene, the local scene was like, you know, it's just, there was a lot of zines going on. There was, there was a, a lot of shows happening 10 minutes from our house. Um, it was, you know, by, I'd yeah. say by like 87, 88, it was just like, it was so commonplace to roll up to a, um, you know, a baseball field and find, you know, three or four dudes on like BMX bikes or skateboards, like, you know, wearing circle jerk shirts and talking about seven seconds and dad yeah. nasty and shit like that. It was just, it became like sort of a, you know, popular kind of like a fad, I would say. Right. Yeah. And it definitely, again, it like, it went down to the point of like, you know, if we move to the part part where like Tim and I start doing common sense, like, yeah, the way punk or hardcore became a trend and the straight edge thing became a trend. And like you did, you just saw like more kids walk, like, yeah, kids walking down the hall of high school with like X's on their hands. And you're like, who, what are you, who are you? Like, yeah. It was always yeah. very like, huh. Okay. You, you were on my soccer team a few years ago and you were like, yeah. you know, yeah. Did you like yeah. try to get me to drink rubbing alcohol a year ago? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, as it, yeah, it was definitely becoming, um, yeah, a trend or a popular, uh, and then, yeah, once we get down to like the common sense, like doing common sense, like there was a local kind of, uh, I don't, like there were kids that were straight edge that were into skateboarding and punk and all that stuff. Yeah. I think before we go into that, though, Tony, we should talk about Eye for an Eye and, and SLU because that's basically where it started for us to, you know. Um, so, 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 um, you know, Tony starts doing a, a zine called Eye for an Eye. Uh, what year do you think that was? Like uh, eight, 86, 87? 86. It wasn't. Okay, so uh, it wasn't that long. 86 or, yeah, 86, early 87? I don't know. I'm trying to think. I think it was 80s, like spring of 87 something like that i i mean it wasn't that long after i had met you i don't think um i mean i want to say i think i probably met you in 86 but Mm. um it was yeah it didn't feel like a year later you know what i mean but it it maybe was a handful of months later you know he had showed me zines and everything i had known about zines i'd known about like the local zine editors and stuff like that um and then like one day tony's like i'm gonna do my own zine And, um, I'm going to call it eye for an eye. And I remember like, you know, being at his house and him, you know, laying it out and, 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 um, you know, doing little drawings and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, I was kind of like, how is this all going to work? How are you going to get this thing printed? How are you going to sell this thing? Um, it was all like super fascinating to me. Um, but yeah, go ahead, Tony. What do you, what do you remember from that little period Um, there? I don't know. I just remember, I can't say it was like a great epiphany that like, I'm going to do a fanzine. Uh, yeah. Like I said before, I think it was just like, well, how do I work my way into this? Uh, this seems pretty easy to do it mm-hmm. like this. And also it, it's also a matter of like the means, like, I think my sister, uh, like my, my sister, like got a typewriter, like she didn't buy it. It was, I forget how it was something where it was like a hand me down or she wanted once someone in school, I forget, but she got mm-hmm. a typewriter. And so that was like in front of me and no one was really using it. It was just like something she brought home. 
So yeah, that was kind of like, oh, well, I can, I can type on this and make a fanzine out of it. Uh, right. And then from there, my one sister took that horrible first issue of that magazine and took it to her work and copied them for me. And then as I guess I, I wanted to keep up doing it, that's when I kind of figured out places to get it printed for cheap and learning how to shrink type, you know, like all this stuff you learn as you go along. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I want to say that was like spring 86. Um, I actually managed to do a, a I want to say I got 10 issues between then and the time we started doing common sense, which just shows mm-hmm. I had no life <laughs> as a kid. But <laughs> I, a lot of, I just remember doing a lot of issues and I, mm-hmm. you know, for the record, like I got interviewed a couple months ago and someone really wanted to like, Oh, so tell me about eye for an eye. What's that all about? And I was like, there's really not much about it. Like there's 10 issues, but they're, I'm sure they're trash. And also like, my memory of, of like, I, I would put a lot of record reviews in there. Okay. And the only, the only way I did that was like my brother, like Don, uh, like um, Tim was saying, my brother Don DJed. He DJed at City Gardens, but he also DJed at a at the college radio station. Oh, WPRB or WTSR. TSR and then PRB. And then PRB, yeah. He would like kind of stop. I guess he would do something like have dinner with me and my parents and then like go do a show. So he'd like bring in the creative records and, uh, I would like just grab them and go upstairs and listen to like a song and a half of every record. <laughs> <laughs> like um, this is good, good enough to review like, the full yeah, record. All this stuff, man. I'm I'm like a 15 year old friggin' you know musical genius. Um, so I'm just saying like the quality was not was not there. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't go hunt these down thinking you have some kind of like a you know window into my writing style or something. Um, yeah. That but, is that is another good point, though, is I, I didn't mention as I talked about City Gardens being local and all these zine editors being local and, you know, it, the whole thing sort of booming in our area. There was also WTSR, which was uh, Trenton State College Radio, um, which was just a college radio station. But it was literally like right down the street. You know, I could skate down to it. And there was uh, Princeton WPRB. And both stations played punk and hardcore, uh, you know, not continuously, but they would have punk and hardcore shows. Yeah. So that was another thing, you know, a, a door that opened for us to, um, well, for me at least to, to discover, you know, more and more stuff. Um, and that was, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember how often those shows were, but at least every weekend, if not, you know, during the week and stuff too. Uh, yeah. I remember the Princeton Pride and Fall was the PRB hardcore show. That was like mid to late 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my yeah, brother no. did like, I mean, technically my brother's show in like the very beginning, I would classify it as like pretty much a hardcore, like hardcore based. And it just basically went with what his musical interest, where his musical interest went. Um, you, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Oh no! I was going to ask if you were still pulling from his uh, collection when it came to reviewing stuff for the first Common Sense, because oh, one yeah. of the qu- okay, okay, because I have a question when we get to the reviews. But yeah, I was going to say that's what I, w- I want to talk about uh, reviews. And then yeah. another another thing that was also very interesting about the history of all this stuff is um, so Tony's brother had a radio show at WTSR and WPRB. Now. Uh, Princeton was a little bit further away. We had to take like a bus or something to get there, but TSR, we could actually skate up there. Um, but so t- you know, Tony's brother had a radio show there. Um, Randy now from city gardens had a radio show, radio show there. 
Uh, Bob Conrad from This Scene Sucks had a radio show there. Um, I know there was there was plenty more, but th- there were there were a lot of like local dudes that did you know punk shows and stuff. And we would go up there. Um, like Tony knew all these guys and introduced me to a lot of these guys. So we would actually go up to the radio station and kind of like hang out, um, you know, almost like, I mean, I felt like a little groupie or something like that, like hang out outside the door. And then eventually somebody would let us in and we kind of stand around in like the record room and like, you know, listen to them talk and spin records and stuff. And I remember being down there, um, when, uh, dead milkman, um, I think they had put out their, the, what was that record? Bucky Fellini or something like that. Do you remember no, that, Tony? I remember. remember I remember we, when it happened, but I don't. We were down uh, there, and and the I Dead Milkman were at at the radio station, and and they were like doing like an on air like sort of promo thing, you know, like talk being interviewed and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was it was pretty crazy because it was so accessible, you know. Like we yeah. were just like you know thirteen year old, twelve, thirteen, fourteen year old kids just walking into the radio station that's on the air, you know, and like just walking around in there, looking around and, and it's just, everybody was just cool with it. And, and then at some point, somehow or another, I mean, Tony, you were probably 14, 15 years old. You got it. You were, you were doing radio shows on there. It was like, what if somebody was, somebody couldn't do it. Like Bob Conrad yeah. was sick or something. He would be like, yo, Tony, you want to do my radio show for me? Well, right. What happened there was, uh, that I, I don't know how radio worked these days. I doubt it, but like you have to had you had, to have an FCC license to, to DJ. I did not, but <laughs> since I've been going down to that radio station, like I said, since I was like 11 years old, like watching my brother DJ, I knew, I knew what to do. So uh, I lied to the program director and said I had an FCC license. Uh, and she was not happy about that when she found out because like she could get in serious trouble. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that was... <laughs> That was short-lived. You just, I mean, just imagine this. I mean, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids running, like, basically running a radio show. Yeah. You know? And and playing whatever the hell they want and talking about whatever the hell they want. I don't know how many people listen to this show, but I'm sure, like, a fair amount of people listen to it, you know? And and it just, I didn't even think about it. The the flag, like, those guys in Flagman, they remembered that one time that I filled in for Bob Conrad because I played, Mm -hmm. like, a chunking can suck it and some other stuff and i remember mm-hmm. them being like oh those are you like that was you guys so yeah somebody heard it somebody heard it wasn't um, there a time that you actually I, I think i remember you actually getting kicked off one time i remember coming down and show what's that yeah, yeah like right? yeah, that was. was the show that okay, was the one okay. like like because i got a tape of chung king and i played it i remember that but yeah no because I was not on the list of DJs and like, yeah, there was like a bunch of kids down there and this security guard was just like, these guys have like broken in here and taken over. And oh, he, wow. he made me like, just go off the air. And the DJ that was next, um, like it was just two hours of fun, of silence. <laughs> like, um, yeah. and the other guy who was the DJ afterwards who, who, uh, works with my brother, um, was the next guy to show up and just be like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. he didn't know if we were like abducted by aliens. <laughs> they didn't know. I, re- I remember coming up to hang out and like, it was going on, it was going on and we were like, hang back. And, and I just remember hanging out on like the loading dock, like skating, like doing bomb drops and shit off the, off the loading dock, waiting to find out like, are we going to be able to go in? Are we not going to be able to go in? And there was probably like five or six of us just kind of like 
skating, just waiting to find out if we were going to be able to get in and, and, and hang. And, and, uh, I guess that was the end of it. I think, um, that must've been, that must've been 89 then, I guess. Right, Tony? Oh, he just, he 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 walked away away. for a second. Yeah. But while he stepped away, but anyway, so, you know, one thing that I want to, I want to sort of add here was I watched Tony, um, you know, like, well, first of all, I was pretty like quiet, um, kind of like shy kid, you know, like I skateboarded, I had a handful of friends, but like, you know, when there was like a big group of skateboarders around, um, and dudes that were just like ripping it up, like I was usually the kid that would like sit on the curb and just sort of watch. I felt like kind of intimidated and stuff. You know, this is just me. I grew up as an only child and, and, and that's just the way, you know, I didn't have a ton of confidence and stuff like that when I was real young like that, you know, like 11, 12 years old. So like I, you know, I start skating and, and have like a couple friends that I skate with. And, and like I said, um, you know, wasn't, I wasn't like by any means, like some great skateboarder, like I love skateboarding, but I, I wouldn't call myself any, you know, I wasn't like, uh, you know, excellent at it or incredible or whatever. Um, but I remember like meeting Tony and, and like, uh, you know, getting more and more into the music and everything. And, and I remember him starting to do eye for an eye and him, communicating with people and i just remember thinking wow this is crazy like he's actually like interviewing bands like and at that time like it just didn't really it didn't really um sink into me that like you know a band like let's just say you know the meat men were like you could actually come up and like talk to them you know like to me they were you know, they were like rock stars. Cause I just hadn't really understood that yet. You know what I mean? So uh, like Tony would interview these bands and like communicate with these bands, write letters with these bands. And I just thought it was like some like kind of special little like entrance to something that was like underground and like just super cool little, you know, way to like get into this scene and actually sort of you know, um, make something of yourself, you know? And like, I, I watched him do zine after zine after zine and just like was so impressed by, you know, the communication, you know, that was going on. And like, like he didn't base his, his like social life over like who you hung out with in high school and, and stuff like that. It was like, he had gone beyond that. Like it was meeting, all these people like all over the country, all over the world, essentially, which to, which to me as a whatever 13 year old kid was just mind blowing. It was, it was seriously mind blowing. So, you know, at some point I said, I'm going to do my own Z. And I remember, I remember actually a specific trip, like my parents used to go down Atlantic city. And I remember one time took me and Tony down Atlantic city. And I remember like walking on the boardwalk saying, Tony, I think I'm going to do a Z. And he was like, yeah, do it, do it. And I'm like, I think I'm going to call it slew. And we both started laughing because I think it was just at that point, there was just like various words that we would kind of throw around that were just like goofy words. Yeah. And at that time, that was just like a goofy word that we were throwing around. And I'm like, I think I'm going to call it slew, you know? And I was like super heavy into, you know, agent orange and all the skate rock stuff at that time. So I'm like, and I, you know, and I'm skating and I'm like, I think I'm going to do like a, sort of skate zine, you know, with a little bit of music. I'm like, would you help me out with the music? And, and he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll help you out with the music. So, you know, Tony was doing eye for an eye and then I started doing slew and I ended up doing three issues of that. And I, it just like I had envisioned it happening. Um, I ended up, you know, 
commuting, communicating with people, um, you know, interviewing bands and, you know, probably the biggest thing was, was the communication with different zine editors and stuff though, which was super cool to me. Um, you know, just like meeting somebody that lived in Connecticut and being like pen pals and, you know, like one of the early, uh, pen pals I had was John white from open your eyes fanzine. Um, which, you know, I thought open your eyes was just fucking such a great zine. It was like one of my, I mean, still one of my favorite zines, but the idea that I could just like write a letter to this dude and like, you know, talk about what's going on in, in my, you know, local scene and stuff like that. And then he would write me back and, and give me a little insight about like what's going to happen in the next issue and what's happening in his scene and stuff like that whole thing just uh, was just so, so cool to me. And it really sort of <clears throat> made me feel like kind of special in a way, uh, not to sound corny, but like just being a, you know, just a normal kid in junior high school who, like I said, was kind of like quiet and, and shy and stuff like that to have that going on in my life, you know, where it was kind of like, I come into school and be like, you guys don't know what the fuck I got going on on the weekends here. You know, like I'm, I'm going off to these fucking crazy shows, you know, I'm like, you know, meeting bands, uh, you know, I'm down at WTSR seeing like the dead milkman. I mean, everybody in my school knew who the, the dead milkmen were, you know, um, I'm, um, you know, communicating with different zine editors and stuff like that and different bands across the country. Um, it just kind of, it definitely gave me some sort of like, you know, confidence and, and, and just kind of like a pride, you know, that I could, um, accomplish that in a way. And, um, you know, I credit Tony for that because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known anything about this shit if it wasn't for him. So, you know, he definitely, I watched him lay down the template and I just sort of followed in his footsteps and then he sort of helped me coach me along the way. And then, um, you know, go ahead, Tony, whatever. I'm, I'm talking too much here. Uh, I, well, you mentioned on white and open your eyes. And I think that is like a, another like big component to this in a way in that, um, for me, uh, when my brother, I'll try to be as brief as possible with this. Cause I know this is kind of like, I'm, I'm going to be treading ground that I've done on other podcasts. You know? Yeah. My brother got me into hardcore. And like the first thing I was attracted to when I was young, when, you know, I got, when he was bringing home records was like minor threat and, uh, SSD and stuff like that because I had I was the youngest of five kids and they were all teenagers so I was watching them like kind of party and just seemed kind of pointless to me so that's why I was attracted to the minor threat and SSD stuff but then once Youth of the Day and like that second wave came in my brother who was kind of like very influential on me definitely like ragged on that stuff like really hard so it, I would be like oh yeah that stuff sucks but I I was into it like I wanted to be into it and then I think it was a matter of like doing the, my zine and like trading zines with like John from open your eyes or um, Chris Daly at smorgasbord. And then like there was a youth of the day show at city gardens where like the first issue of boiling point was sold. So like uh, all that stuff um, tied in with like finally seeing like all the bands like youth of the day and bold and all that stuff definitely like, you know, made me be like, okay, I want to be a part of this. Like, how do I get, you know, how do I, again, how do I work my way into this? Um, and like I said, open your eyes was definitely like a catalyst in the way that like he pen paled with me, pen paled with Tim. And maybe through that, like that made us want to kind of pull our resources together. And yeah, I, I would say that that was a big thing of it because that was when I was just ready to like kind of throw 
throw a band into the wind and like not care what like my brother or his older friends thought and like you know dive into the this you know straight edge hardcore thing that was happening in the late 80s and tim was already like fully bought in he didn't have anybody kind of tainting his uh opinion so i think it was me kind of like finally being like fuck it i want to be a part of this and tim already knowing you want to be a part of this that made us want to throw our yeah like throw everything in a pot and um start common sense yeah 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 i you were on your last issue which was like who did you interview was you today in that issue did i think it was the last issue i did this is a good lineup i guess uh it was youth today and and steve albini those were the two interviews. oh that sounds good <laughs> i saw great man and uh after they were done i was like every i was 14 or 15 maybe and like, I remember being like, I'm going to talk to Steve Albini. So he wants to do an interview. And everybody was like, you're crazy. Cause he had some kind of persona, but like, okay. he, he, I don't know. He like, at that point he was like, he had a persona of just being kind of an ant, like, you know, being maybe a prick and probably would be a total prick to a 14 year old who came up like, do you want to do an interview? Yeah. But he couldn't have been a nicer fella <laughs> and um, <laughs> very, um, brief with his answers because you know whatever i was 15 i wasn't really spitting any uh you know any great questions yeah but he, he took the time to do it so i give him that and uh so yeah anywho yeah the last issue was like i want to say yeah it was like purcell and Ray, and steve albini yeah but i just okay. remember like a lot of you, we used to get photos from ken salerno uh who's a, a guy who shot it like every city garden show and uh ken would you know go to shows and then like develop the photos and he would just send Tony like a, a, a pack of photos. And I remember that issue had like, oh, yeah. um, you know, a yeah. lot of like cool yeah. full size, you know, yeah. photos of, of all those bands. Um, but so I was on my last issue of slew and I had interviewed bold unit pride, pagan babies, McRad aware and turning oh, wow. point. So like I was full on into the, you know, uh, that, that mode. I mean, I was, I was like worshiping Boiling Point fanzine, Open Your Eyes, Smorgasbord. Um, those were like, you know, my favorite fanzines at the time. And, um, you know, t- Tony was was heading in that direction with his last scene. So, you know, at some point, you know, we just said we should do a zine together. Uh, actually, you know what it was, Tony? I think I was thinking about doing another zine after SLU. Like I wanted to like I almost thought, thought that like SLU was a little too like kiddish a little too like skate zine and i wanted to head it into like more of a bowling point direction and i don't know if you remember this but i wanted to call it crucial times and oh, oh nice I, okay i yeah so i wanted to call it crucial time because the local newspaper is called the trenton times yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and i wanted to call it crucial times because you know the, the youth today song i actually in the back of my house um my, my dad had laid fresh concrete by a window and i carved into a crucial times fanzine I don't know if you remember, you probably don't remember that, but I was, so that was planning on doing a full on like straight edge, straight edge type of hardcore zine. And, um, I remember like talking to Tony about, uh, you know, like ideas and stuff like that. And then at some point it was like, oh, well, let's just do the zine together. And I was like, all right, yeah, that'll work. One thing I do remember is like when we were talking about it, you you were like, you, you said something like, I don't want like pussy galore or any of that shit in there. <laughs> and I was like, no, like, and I was like, no, I'm totally like, I'm on the, I'm, on the like, I'm, I'm fully in. Uh, so I remember yeah. that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> so, were you interviewing people in person with the tape recorder, or was this uh, over the phone sometimes, or was it through mail? It was all three. It was all the above. Right? Oh, okay, yeah, that was my question for the for the first issue of Common Sense. Which ones were done um, well, were, in person? They were all done. Oh, I, let me like. They were mostly done over the phone. Okay. You know the the Gorilla Biscuits one, I think you did over the phone, right? Yeah, they were all done over the phone, but up front, Jeff wanted to do it through the mail. So okay, but. I'm kind of like going through the Rolodex in my head and they were all done. Yeah. They were all done. Yeah, over turn, the I remember turning points done over the phone. Uh, okay. off was done over the phone. I don't remember the sick of it all interview or the no for an answer interview, but, um, Maybe those myself, but yeah, those were over the phone. Okay. I think the other, the other three, I was there like, you know, hanging out in the background while you were doing it. Okay. So, so the first issue is sick of it all. Gorilla biscuits, no for an answer upfront turning point and enough. Right. That's a hell of a lineup. Not bad. Yeah. 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 I mean, those were the bands that were happening at the time. I mean, you know, enough, enough and turning point were like new bands, you know? That's what I thought Um, was interesting was that you were really showing support for turning point. And, you know, looking back on this stuff now, um, it's cool to see that there were just kind of an up and coming band that you were supporting because they were local Jersey because you want right. to focus well, on Jersey, Jersey bands, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is, so, so I had interviewed turning point for, for my, for issue three of slew. I had interviewed Jay over the phone and, um, I, I, you know, called him up. Like we, we, we wrote back and forth that I wanted to do an interview. Like the demo had just come out and, uh, I just thought that demo was incredible. I just yeah, thought it absolutely. was fucking so good. And I remember like everybody saying, because there was this whole controversy of them playing club pizzazz and, and getting all this shit for sounding just like you today. And, and I remember like being like, man, these, these guys, you know, these guys are fucking great. They're not just like a youth today clone. I mean, they're, they're their own band. They're fucking, you know, they're really fucking good. So, and, and, and I love that demo. still love the demo. So like my, my, my all time, all time favorite demo. And, um, I, I wrote back and forth with Jay and we set up an interview and I called him and I, I set up the tape recorder and then went in the other room and like I had the thing, you know, play record and pause. And then like I, I had to go, I had that phone hooked up in one room and then was supposed to hit, take off the pause and then run in the other room and then, and then, you know, record the interview. Well, I did the full interview, however long it was, you know, 45 minutes all right, thanks, Jay. I hang up and I come back in the room and I had never actually taken it off Paul's. So I had done this full <laughs> oh, fucking man. interview. Yeah, I'd done this full interview with him and I was so like excited because, you know, earlier issues of, of SLU, Tony would help me with interviews or, you know, I would write letters to, to people for interviews. So that turning point interview with Jay was like the first interview that I did over the phone. And I was like, man, I really accomplished something. You know, I did interview over the phone. And I go back in the other room and, and Paul's was still on <laughs> and I was so embarrassed. Like I couldn't just call Jay back and be like, Hey Jay, I'm really sorry. I never hit, uh, I never took the pause button off. Uh, can we do the, I just said, you know what? I sat down literally that minute 
and and just re looked at my questions and rewrote all the answers as I remembered them in my head. Yo, I love that. <laughs> I love that too. Uh, because I was just I was just way too embarrassed to go back and, and I've done um, that. do that. I've done that myself, so don't feel oh, you have. <laughs> oh, that rules. <laughs> so like when we did the interview with with Turning Point for Common Sense, it was like, wow, I can, you, know, you know, it's almost like a second chance at doing it properly, you know. Yeah. So who are some of the photographers that that were, that took these good photos in there was, I know that you said Ken. um, So Ken, Ken Salerno. Salerno. And then, and then Ethan Gladding was a a local guy. He lived in, uh, I think he lived in Pennington, New Jersey, which is like a town over from us. And and Ethan went to like shows everywhere from DC to Connecticut. Uh, You know, he was like a couple of years older than us. So he probably had his license, you know, he definitely had his license before us and he was super into the whole you know, straight edge hardcore scene. Uh, he, he Ethan took the cover of the uh, the Turning Point LP picture. Um, Ethan took the picture that's on the shelter. shelter yeah, yeah, yeah. The shelter picture with Capo doing that like that like karate jump. You know, which yeah. is actually he took that picture at the last Youth Today show at Fenders in '89. That's actually Youth Today picture. Um, but you know, the, they ended up using it as a shelter. You know, image. You know, for the why poster and shirts. And why do I think that was Justin Mulder took that? Oh no! There's a, there's a Justin Mulder picture that's kind of similar. It's got from, that same jump, probably. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah, same similar, style um, from from uh, um, Unisound. But why no, that, know, that and then why do I know this? Like, because <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> Greg, you're the knowledge bank. You know this. Like, I know, but <laughs> you are the I, knowledge I, bank. I don't know how to do like basic life functions, but I I know this. <laughs> no, but, but it, I it, think it, I think Ethan took the cover picture for Common Sense one. Does that sound right, Tony? It's Gorilla Biscuits, right? Yeah, the Gorilla Biscuits picture. I think there's like Gorilla Biscuits no, that picture. Was, he did. That was either Ethan or Ted. Yeah, Ted Lazinski. Yeah. Ted Lazinski. Yeah. Uh, it lists, I'm, I'm looking at it as we speak, front cover photo, Civ of Gorilla Biscuits at the Ritz at the Super Bowl Hardcore this winter, photo by Ethan Glading. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. We go. So, so it was mostly Ethan and, and this guy, Ted Lazinski, who was a guy who was um, – a little younger, much, much younger than Ken Slaren. And now, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> is that guy's, what is that guy's name? Ted Kaczynski. Oh, Kaczynski. No, no, this is Lazinski. Okay. Um, but yeah, he gave us a bunch of pictures. Um, he was a guy, I think he was kind of friends with Ken Salerno, like, but yeah, younger, he was definitely like, not into like what the reason he had, a, he, the, the photos that we had in that issue that were taken by him, the only reason we kind of had those was because it was something where Ken was going to shoot photos of like at the Super Bowl hardcore and something happened. So Ted went instead and took those photos. Okay. But like that dude was not into like straight edge hardcore or anything. He was like, yeah, I, don't, was, I didn't think so. He became like a new, like a couple of years later, he kind of got entrenched in that kind of like New Brunswick, like punk. Okay. I don't know, like post sub pop kind of scene. I forget the okay. name of it. But like he was definitely not like he wasn't into it. Let's <laughs> just say that because I remember yeah. him always being like giving me. I remember him making comments about the photos or something. But anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But other than that, um, like we we were getting photos from just like you know other zine editors and um, I don't you know, think I Tim don't... Owen was in there. Was Tim Owen from J Tree? Did he take some photos? T- in there Tim, also? we got a bunch yeah. of pictures from Tim Owen and Common Sense too. Okay, yeah. okay. and and. The story with that, just because you mentioned it, is that I think we had the big thing about doing zines at that point, or and, and doing them well, was to get your photos uh, like half toned, 
And we didn't know shit about that, but um, uh, the the Boiling Point guys obviously did. They uh-huh. they did that in their zines. So I think Tony, when we were doing Common Sense One, didn't you reach out to? Was it one of those guys that? Because I know I know like the Schism guys were were, were getting their photos half toned, and uh, I seem to remember sending all our pictures was, to somebody in New York, and yeah, they got them all half toned. It was uh, it was Jim Testa who did. Oh, Jersey. it was. Pretty okay. Sure. Okay. I remember it was like a, it was like a place like East. Maybe it was East Side Copy. East Side it, Copy. Yes, that was it. That was the name. I just sent him the photos, and then he uh, he sent them back. But then for the second one, I started I started at a graphic design a graphic design class, and I could half tone the photos there. So I think okay. that's what, yeah, that's what the second one was mostly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? When I mentioned the zines that were highly influential at the time, I know I mentioned um, "Open Your Eyes," "Smorgasbord," and um, "Boiling" uh, and "Boiling Point." But the other one I, I, I didn't mention, which I don't know how it skipped my mind, was was definitely "Schism." Yeah, Schism, yeah. Schism, Schism was huge. Um, another one that, that I think we we really liked a lot was Triple X fanzine, Mike Gitter's fanzine from yeah. Boston. Um, not as much like straight edge hardcore, but like um, I mean, he had it in there. But and definitely, yeah. Graphics wise, like he had a lot of cool graphics and stuff going on in there. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, Boiling Point, yeah, that was definitely like the template for like making your scene look a little, you know, a little more graphic heavy. But mm-hmm. it wasn't until like years later because I, I had that, you know, I had issues of Boiling Point. But at that point in my life, I also had issues of like uh, this fanzine was from California called Ink Disease and another mm-hmm. Leading Edge. And yep. I didn't really put the two and two together until like a like I don't know maybe like ten years ago when I was looking at whatever issues I still had of those zines and I was like oh yeah they they were like really heavy on graphics and full full size photos and like dropouts and all this stuff mm-hmm. and it wasn't yeah. that I was like oh I kind of knew what this stuff was the whole time I just wasn't smart enough like it was the boiling point stuff that made like rang the bell and was like oh yeah that'd be cool if it looked like that you know right right Even I saw that stuff prior but yeah yeah speaking of the graphics stuff as as someone who made fanzines in the 90s and was familiar with things like rub off letters Mm -hmm. and um, sticky letters and exacto knives and all that stuff I can I can recognize a lot of that going on with especially with common sense one on the cover and then the scan that you sent over of common sense two was actually like the actual layout so yeah. you can see the like sharpies filling in and stuff yeah. Yeah. um a couple questions i have the first one is the brick motif i yeah. i recognize that from a lot of fanzines around the time do you know like where that came from or how you guys like why well, you guys I- used that because igby has also showed me some very early like 90s maybe even late 80 stuff that had that the, the the bricks on it yeah yeah i mean i remember uh, the bricks being in in boiling point specifically um but i uh, there was a, a local um um printing or art store called triangle which i ended up working for in the 90s um that had all the letter set rub off letters and 
and they actually sold the backgrounds. They were letter set backgrounds. Uh Um, So they were, they weren't necessarily rub off. They were just like a, like almost like a decal type of material. Yeah. Like the decal material. Rev has the star one. That's just yeah. like a big sheet of stars. Yes. Big sheet, yeah. So it's uh-huh. the same type of thing. It's just a big sheet of bricks, just uh-huh. a big sheet of like a half tone, you know. Yeah. Different, different kinds of backgrounds, you know, freaking, you know, different animal skins and 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 shit like that. But um, you know, for the for common sense issue one, the bricks and the half tone dots were just so uh, prevalent in in like boiling point and i just thought that's that's the way to go um and you know we were on a budget you know what i mean so right. like i couldn't afford to buy sheets and sheets and sheets of different kinds of backgrounds sure um so right. i just bought what i could and i and same as same as fonts go you know like the anything in here that is in, in common sense one that is you know like a white type on a black background was a white rub off letter that yeah like, like we we didn't Even, like get that reversed on a camera or anything like that, you know. The page where it says info and it's kind of like the yeah. Roman looking letters, th- yes, those are yes. rub off letters. Those are rub off letters, yeah. Wow. Yep, yeah, those yep, are great. Yeah. And what about yep. all the rest of the type? It says in the thing that Tony was the typist and then Tim was the layout artist. Tony, what were yeah. you using to type this stuff out on? Typewriter. Just a typewriter. Yeah. That's so we, sick. We, yeah. we would have like, we would basically I, I have like. Me. I don't know why I would credit myself as a typist because I was horrible and <laughs> every third word is misspelled. I think friend is misspelled like 50 times in that. <laughs> I noticed um, it made me, took me back definitely is spelled wrong a lot, which I always had hey, a hard time spelling that. I still do. Until like five years ago. I didn't, I, same. That's why I said it like, I was like. Me just write out definite and write L-Y under it. <laughs> <laughs> But it it, uh, it really took me back to being uh, a kid and having trouble spelling that word. I was looking, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I had trouble yeah, we, with that one too. Tony and I would have like um, common sense party nights, like a weekend, like Tony come over to my house, he would type and I would just hang out and, and he would, he would literally just type after type after type. It would be like a whole weekend's worth of, yeah. of typing. And then, um, and then once everything was typed, it was like, all right, now, you know, we, we would have collected, you know, photos and we got photos half toned. And then it was like, all right, now is the day of, of, you know, layout, you know, and then I just start sort of, I had a drafting table and, you know, I had border tape, border tape is, is, you know, basically like a very thin, like black, um, tape that you would make borders with. It looks like I'm looking through uh, issue one now, and it looks like I did a lot of the the borders and stuff with just like a, a, a pen, a, a ruler and like a, a pen or a marker. Yeah. You can see the parts where like it, you stop and the ink bled and a little bit. Yeah. But if you look at like the enough interview, there is a border tape that I, that I used in there. They're like little lines. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. So, you know, we buy border tape. Uh, actually, yeah, you can see the border tape used in the sick of it all interview. Cause it's a, it, it's looks sloppy as shit, but, mm. um, but anyway, you know, and just like, uh, black construction paper I'd use, um, you know, some of those other zines, you know, like boiling point and, 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 uh, schism and stuff like that. They, they had access to, uh, you know, cameras and stuff where they could knock, you know, reverse type and, and get a little more, uh, uh, heavy with the design, you know, a little more creative, I, I guess I should say. Yeah. Um, and I just went with what I had, you know what I mean? It was at the time, um, that's just pretty much what I had, you know, rub off letters. I didn't have a bunch of rub off letters. Um, I probably had, 
uh, well, <laughs> it's funny. I'm looking at I'm looking at the first page, and you, you you can see three different like X's on the first page, like triple X's in three different fonts. Because I had because I had you know those different fonts, you know that info. I had that in a different font. I bought those like varsity letters that I use in the enough thing. You know the NJ Straight Edge that was from that same font. That black X on there was from black electrical tape. You know, I literally yeah. laid black electrical tape down. Um, but yeah, you know, and then when I ran out of, if, if I didn't have fonts, um, you know, I would cut stuff out of zines, um, like logos and, and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. that's one thing that I regret is, um, I didn't have the foresight to think like, man, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to be bummed in 30 years when I have this zine with, with shit all cut out of it, you know? Yeah. Um, like, you know, there's issues of, they're actually <laughs> the first issue of boiling point that I had, um, issue one. Uh, I, I, I literally cut like logos out of it, mm. like, and, and use them in here. And, uh, I cut that zine up so much between, uh, slew and, and common sense that it was, it was like all taken apart and, and it's pretty much trashed. I mean, I ended up getting another copy of it, like, you know, a couple of years later, but, um, yeah, but I yeah. have a lot of flyers in my collection a couple, like a year ago in, in COVID lockdown, I, uh, chronologically organized all of my show flyers and i was not surprised at how many had like one name either cut or just straight ripped out of it because then i would just you know tape it to a photo in a fanzine and actually uh there's a kid chad stroop right now who is like dismantling his zine layouts and selling the original photos for like you know a few bucks Mm -hmm. each and he's like yeah sorry this ink and dagger photo has the logo still stuck to it with (laughs) <laughs> tape or rubber cement or whatever but yeah. yes it's, it's cool. i have some of you know what else is kind of cool like my mom uh, about a couple of years ago she gave me a big bag full of stuff that she just sort of collected from my like childhood and a couple of things in here and she just thought it'd be you know that i would want to like take a look at this stuff so she had copies of all my zines and i'm looking at uh common sense issue one and it's got a date on the back as if like you know, when you take a photo, you know, and it has like the date written on the back of the photo, like they used to do. So this one says, uh, April 89. So I guess that's when common sense issue one came out. Wow. I, don't, I don't think on the back though. Now, you, now, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming I probably gave it to her and she probably wrote it right there on the back. Does that sound right to you, Tony? Yeah. My, my memory is more like us getting it all wrapped, wrapped up maybe in March. Yeah. That's what my memory is. And then Again, who knows? I another, another, I'm sorry. I was Somebody. gonna say another another detail that I remember about issue one was that we wanted to we wanted to make it as professional as possible. So like, you know, you had uh, open your eyes and, and schism that were doing those newsprint fanzines. Uh, and we just thought this is the way to go. This is this is how we take our zine to the next level. So Tony had found a place that did uh, offset printed um, newsprint fanzines. And, uh, he's like, we can do a thousand of them for 300. Was it, was it, how much was it? Was it $600? I want to say like, it, was it, was, it was something where it was like, if we only got, I forget the number. I want to say it was like, if we got 500 made, it would be more. But the guy was like, oh, if you bring it up to like a thousand, I think we got a thousand. 300 and 500. Maybe that, huh? that's, a, I don't think I would take, even I would be like a thousand fanzines. Good Lord. Um, see, I, well, I seem to remember that it was a thousand zines for 600 bucks. And I, <laughs> I went and, and you had, I think 
you were, I don't know, were you still doing the paper route at that time? I don't remember, but I went and got a job working as a busboy at a local restaurant. Yeah, I remember just, that. Just so I could make the $300 that I had to make to put into to the fanzine. And that's $319.89, so, which is, yeah, yeah. I need to, I need to, Greg, good I'm, point. <laughs> I'm going to do, like, like, I'm thinking now of like, that's it a, you know, a good chunk of change. Yeah, it was probably late 88, early 89 that we started working on this thing, you know? And so like, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was a 14 year old kid, like 14, 15 year old kid. And I just said, I had no way to get my, it's like my my parents weren't going to hand me $300 to go do some like little creative project, you know? So, you know, I had a paper route when I was younger, but I think I had stopped doing that. And, um, and yeah, I think I had a friend that worked at a a restaurant, a local restaurant. It was a busboy. And he was like, you can come in here and, and work for like, a month and you can make that kind of money, you know, to, 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 to do your zine. So yeah. I literally went and I worked and I didn't spend any of that money on anything else. I, I bust tables for like a month. And then I was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> I made that $300. I remember going over Tony's house and like, here's $300, $300 in cash. To put it and, in perspective, uh, the inflation, uh, Javier and I ran a calculation where we're really smart with this kind of stuff. And it looks like it would be worth somewhere between $646 and 10 cents and, uh, $649 today. That's a lot of money. That's for a lot a, of money. A kid. Yeah. 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 So yeah. anyway, yeah, right. No, no, no. That, that was all I really had to say. It was just that I, I, mean, I just went and worked, you know, to make the money to do this. And, and, and in my mind, that's what I remembered that it was that we both had to put in $300 a piece and that it was for a thousand zines. And I just remember getting coming to your house the day that they arrived in these just big giant stacks. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm <laughs> as a, as a like young kid, I remember thinking, Tony, we're going to be fucking millionaires. <laughs> so, I was just going to say like, this thing is yeah, I didn't, no, well, that, I didn't think of those terms, but well, uh, I remember looking at it and thinking, like, we're going to sell all these zines for a yeah. dollar a piece. Yeah. We're going to make a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? I, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think we did that, but uh, no, no, we didn't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, I just remember it was very weird, like, as far as like deciding, like, all right, we were going to do newsprint, and um, it was basically getting out the yellow pages for every, like, every print shop in New Jersey. And being like, do you print offset newsprint? And can you give me a quote? Again, I'm like 16 years old. So mm-hmm. we found a place that the place that, that Tim is talking about. And it was like down by Atlantic City. And I didn't have a license yet or anything. Um, but my my mom agreed to to drive us down there and pick them up. And, uh, and we got there. And I'm sure the guy who I'd been talking on the phone the whole time with, like, you know, about the pricing – was pretty I don't know how he felt when like this 16 year old puke like walked in like <laughs> like yeah I'm the guy you've been talking to he seemed really weird like he treated us like really nicely I remember he brought my mom and I into like his office and like showed us the sample of like the issue of common sense which I was just like you know I looked at the cover and was like yeah we'll take him like you know like yeah look through it and make sure like it was like what I wanted which I was again really freaked out by and uh but he was nice and i remember like loading him into my mom's little mustard mobile and like (laughs) i don't know how it made it with all the zines in it and we drove all the way back and um yeah and then i guess i i kind of for some reason i remember you coming with us but maybe not 
And no, then, I, d- I definitely didn't come. But I guess you showed up in my house, and, and yes, <laughs> they, they were. I just remember um, they were right there in the door. Like you literally opened the door, they're right yeah. there in the doorway, walking up, this, you know, up to your bedroom. They they didn't make it any further than yeah. the entrance to the doorway, yeah. and it was just like. It, I mean, it was as if somebody just dropped a million dollars down there for us. It was like, holy shit, here yeah. it is. This, and, you know, yeah. this thing that we've been working on for months, it is an actual, genuine, printed fanzine. This looks like schism. You know what I mean? Like, this yeah. is the fucking real deal. I just remember yeah. being so fucking psyched that yeah. we had we had accomplished that. And then whatever that... Um, whatever that lined up with the next show that was at City Gardens, which was on the yeah, Sunday, well, and it was like token entry, token entry, oh, right. the Iceman in your face, yes, Dirge played, uh-huh. who were a good New Jersey hardcore band that don't kind of get the recognition they deserve. Yeah, um, but yeah, I remember that show because they were like, oh, like that show is going to be a per, like it'll be perfect to you know yes. sell. It. And we, yeah, I remember like, it's kind of funny because you're like, we're going to be millionaires. Like, yeah. we're coming home with like, just, it was a dollar. So I just came home like a stripper. Like, I got to do all these one yeah. And I counted you know, them out and they were like, I want to say it was like maybe a hundred bucks or something like that. And mm-hmm. like, my parents were like, that's when they were like, oh, like maybe this isn't such a dumb idea. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, that that particular show. Now I had gone to I had been going to shows for like a couple years prior to that show at City Gardens, but I didn't see. Unlike Tony, uh, my parents were not cool with me going to City Gardens, um, so I always had to come up with you know some kind of bullshit story. Usually saying, "Oh, I'm going with Tony to go to his aunt's house to go swimming." Like this wasn't even an aunt that existed, you know. Yeah, but yeah. like, because my I, I I think I said this to you guys before on, on uh, other episodes, but like my father grew up in the projects that were right across the street from city gardens. It was called the Donnelly homes. So he grew up right there. He knew what that area was like, and it was a bad area. I don't want to go all into that again. Cause I know I've discussed it before, but it was a very bad area. And, you know, as a 12, 13 year old kid, my parents were not uh, cool with me going down there. So, um, they would, you know, when I started asking them they would say, no, no way, you know? And, and then what they knew about punk at the time was what they saw on TV, you know, like literally like the Quincy episode, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff is what they knew about punk. So it was nothing but like chaos and anarchy and drugs and violence, you know? So they didn't want their, you know, their, their nice little kid getting involved in that sort of thing. So, but, you know, you know, behind the scenes, I was deeply getting involved in it. And, and Tony was my, my entrance into it. And so, you know, he would, he would take me to these shows and stuff, but, um, I had to be very, very picky about what shows I was going to lie to my parents about going to, you know, I was going to go down the shore. I was going to go here. I was, I had to come up with all these different excuses where I was going on a Sunday, Sunday night. And I did it as, as often as I could. But at one point I ended up getting caught. And, um, and then I kind of came clean and said, look, it is not what you guys think. It is not all violence and drugs and, and chaos and shit like that. I'm not really even into that side of it, you know? And I remember like explaining to my parents that like, you know, there's bands like youth of today, you know? And, and I said, they're so, these guys are so like positive that they're like against killing animals. I remember like showing my mom the lyrics to know more. I'm like, this is how next level this stuff is. 
And I, it was, it was at that point I showed them issue two because I got caught. I mean, this is a whole nother story for another time, but Tony and I went to go see bold and, um, vision and enough and life's blood at, uh, Scott hall. And that was in 88. And, uh, we got, uh, local friends, the guy, that guy, Bob Conrad, who did this scene sucks, drove us to the show. Cause we, we didn't know anybody that was, that was old enough other than Tony's brother. Um, yeah. you know, like, I mean, we kind we knew some people, but they were, you know, like that guy, Ethan, but like, he was like a town over, um, like we didn't have anybody like right in our town that could drive us to shows. So like, um, we were always jonesing to go to like, you know, CBs and the anthrax and, and the safari club. We were constantly seeing pictures and videos of all this shit. And like, all we had was city gardens. It was like the only place that we could, you know, regularly go to, to see shows, which was great. But it was different. It was not like the anthrax. It was not a, it wasn't a big like youth thing. You know what I mean? It was there was all kinds of people that went to City Gardens. You know, it like there was a ban on stage diving at City Gardens. So anyway, this bold show was happening at uh Scott Hall, and it was like right when you know the bold speak out record came out and the way it is had, had just come out. It was the explosion of like you know, the revelation scene, straightish hardcore thing. Well, we ended up getting a ride to the show from Bob Conrad and Eric Santai, the guys that did This Scene Sucks and um, Skate for a Rate or Stranger. And uh, who else went? Was it Shane? Shane Dave Roy, probably. No, oh, Dave Bryson. Uh, Dave Bryson was in a band called Jersey Fresh. They were a local band from from Ewing. Um, and anyway, so like we we – I remember Tony telling me about the show. I was in junior high school and he's like, dude, the show's happening. And I'm like, Holy fuck, we got to go. Like, this is our chance, New Jersey, you know, to see a show like this. So we hopped in a car, we went to that show and I had told my parents now, even though this was like, you know, a very different scene than the city garden scene, like my parents didn't understand the difference. So I just told them, Hey, I'm going with Tony and his sister. We're going to go see a skate demo up in, in New Brunswick. And they're like, okay. But the problem was Tony had told his mom, and I don't know why, I, I do kind of wonder this now, why did you lie to your parents? Because your parents let you go wherever you want at that time now, or no? That, now that's where it's <laughs> in the way that like, it kind of goes back to whoever said it in the very beginning of the conversation. Like for, they knew that I was with my brother, nonetheless, if I was at City Gardens or wherever, as long as Don, Don was there, I was fine. Yes. So that was the thing is like, there was all these shows now that I was getting into the whole like, straight edge thing like you know my brother was much older than me and he was already out of hardcore by that point so like i could go to city gardens because he was working you know what i mean so so once it came to like shows that don wasn't going to go to i had to you know dance or dance around the truth so be a little crafty yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, like the macaroni and cheese so i yeah. <laughs> so yeah i forget what my law i mean i guess I don't know what I did. I guess I lied okay. about something and it yes. came you, you, in the end. Yeah. So I remember you had told your, your mom that you were going to go down the shore with me and my parents. Mm -hmm. And what, what had happened was we got, I remember like it was the show was going super late, you know? And for us, I mean, you know, I'm like 14, Tony, I guess you're like 16 and we're at this sh show and, um, and it's getting late and I'm, I'm like, fuck, Bolt didn't even play yet. And it's, and, and like, we're going to be late. And I remember getting nervous and I remember going out to, uh, a, a, um, a phone, a pay phone and calling my house 
Cause I was going to say, Hey, look, the, the skate jam is running a little late, you know, and, and uh, you know, be cool. We'll, we'll, we'll be back. And I called my parents' house and it must've been 1130, something like that. And they didn't answer. And I'm thinking, Oh fuck. All right. I guess they're sleeping. And me and Tony were like, Oh, well, bold's going on. You know, we're going to go see bold. So we went in and we watched bold and had the fucking time of our lives, you know, but that night we drove home from New Brunswick, which is, you know, about 45 minutes from where we live. And we got home and it must've been like one close to two in the the morning. Yeah. One or two in the morning. And I remember telling Bob Conrad, like, don't drop me off right in front of my house because my, if my parents are sleeping, their, their, their bedroom is right in front of the house and they would hear a car pull up and they would hear the door shut and stuff. So I said, pull up like three houses up and we'll get out. We'll walk, we'll walk down. So that's what they did. Me and Tony got out. And, and I think the, the plan was that Tony was just going to sleep over my house or something like that. And we walk up to the front porch. And I remember we're standing on the front porch and I'm scrambling to find my keys, you know, assuming the house is pitch black, everybody's sleeping. I'm assuming. And then I just see the curtain window in the, in the, in the big bay window in front of the house, like crack open. And my mom look out and I went, Oh no. Why, why is my mom awake? And, <laughs> and, and she comes around and she opens the door. And the first thing she says is, where have you guys been? <laughs> and Tony's ah, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> well, I just remember your either your mom or your dad afterwards being like, "Go home, go your home." You're asking about you, and I like it wasn't a bad walk at two o'clock in the morning. Like you know, it was only up yeah. the street. I remember being yeah. like, "Shit, they're so mad that they're not even <laughs> going to come pick me up." All right, um, yeah, I, I remember they got said, "Go home right now." Your parents are worried sick about you. That's what I remember. <laughs> but like my parents. My parents looked at me and they just said to me, we are so disappointed in you. Like they didn't scream at me. I'm standing here. I got like a bold shirt in my hand. I got a, the way it is poster in my hand. Yeah, like, like, you're like, wow. Like you just came from the best night of your life. I've yeah. got a bold speak out poster in my hand. I've got a boiling point issue one in my hand or issue two. I'm fucking like ecstatic. You know, I'm just had the best night of my life. And my parents are just like, yeah. we are so disappointed in you. <laughs> Go to and my ears. I remember my ears were ringing like I couldn't even. I couldn't hear. And they just said, "Go to bed. We will talk to you in the morning about this." And I remember I went to bed and I just laid all those, all those, you know, things that I had gotten from the show, laid them down on them. And I just remember thinking, "Oh my god, I think it was worth it." <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I laid in bed and um, and I, I couldn't sleep. Because my ears were ringing and I was like, I was so many like emotions, so many thoughts, like, like I really felt like this was it. You know what I mean? I'd gone to so many shows at city gardens that were just great, but they just weren't this, you know what I mean? And this was, this was the fucking deal. Uh, This was the genuine article, you know? (laughs) So like the next morning, I remember I woke up and I grabbed, uh, I grabbed youth today, went on a Sloan and I grabbed that boiling point, um, and I walked upstairs and my mom was sitting out on the back porch. And I said, before you even say anything, I got to explain to you. And she's just like, she's looking at me like, what, what, what do you have to say for yourself? And I'm like this. I, so I saw these bands and I know you, what you think it is, but it's not that. And I'm like, I was like, look at this interview. And I remember showing them the interview with you today. And I remember like pointing out, I'm like, they're against racism. I'm like, these guys, they don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't do drugs. I was like, they're so positive that they don't even eat meat because they're like against killing animals. And I'm like showing them like, I pull out, you know, one of us alone and I'm showing them the lyrics to know more. 
And my mom was, I just remember it just clicked. Like she just went, Oh, really? I'm like, yeah. And, and then she's like, well, that's, that's good to know. And, and she kind of just let it, let it go. And like, I don't remember getting punished or grounded or whatever and, and, and walked away. But my whole point to getting to this was common sense issue one had come out and that, that show had, had come up that token entry show that we were going to sell the zines at. And that was literally the first show that I said, can I go to this show? And they were like, yeah, you can go. So they let me go. And I just remember thinking like, holy shit, like this is it. Like I finally gotten to this point where like, I don't have to lie to my parents about going to shows, you know, now my first zine comes out, like everything's just heading in the right direction. You know what I mean? That, that was, that was my point to that whole story. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I you guys to- fell victim to like the age old sitcom trope of each making a different excuse. Yeah. 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 And then getting caught. Like yeah. you were you were here where I, strokes kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought Tony's sister was taking you guys to a skate uh, demo, but yeah. Tony's mom says you did you know your her sister was not there, you know, like what what's yeah, going yeah. on? And I explained, but, I was like, look, you know, now another part of it wasn't it wasn't awesome, it wasn't just you're going away to like some chaotic fucking crazy punk show. It was also you're going away with people we don't know. But I saw well, that butthole surfers footage at City Gardens, and that shit looked insane. I was at that show. Oh, and, dude, that was crazy. That's well, the footage the from is, the documentary yeah. right on the dance floor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was at that show, and I again, I was probably like 14 years old. And okay. I was in a room where a lady was like naked dancing on, you know, dancing on a stage while like the car, like they had the the films of all the car crashes going on behind didn't they set the place on fire or almost set it on fire (laughs) but yeah that was funny because like i remember of all the times like shit got gnarly there my brother would just be like yeah all right time to take you home you know (laughs) that was the one show where he was like i'm getting you the fuck out of here right now yeah tim if your parents saw that they would be like nah you're not oh my god hell no he was like all right all right everybody out everybody yeah So from, from what I remember, uh, comments, I don't remember how long it took for us to put together common sense one, uh, two, but I, I, I think there was a decent stretch of time in between one and two, right, Tony? Uh, there was, but I think the one and a half, the idea of that was just that, uh, Rain, again, the guy at city gardens who book shows, Randy now wanted to do like a all, he saw that like, whatever, there was this scene kind of building and he wanted to do like an all New Jersey hardcore show. Oh, right, right, right. And I was like, oh, like, I don't know. I, I think I was like, oh, we won't have an issue ready in time because it was literally like two months after we put out the first one. And honestly, Boiling Point had just did Boiling Point two and a half. And since we were like, basically were like, wanted to be that, <laughs> we were like, yeah. we one and a half, right. whatever. And I, the idea of the legal sheet, I want to say we took from the straight straight, straight in your face. Yeah, Jason yeah. Peterson zine. Yeah, from from uh, Arizona. Wind of Change. Yeah, I got Wind of Change and Youth Under Control did these like um, legal size one sheet zines called In Your Straight in Your Face that had like a one side and then like reviews and ads on the other. It was really and it was like again the graphics are really cool. So I think we were like basing it on that and um, so it was just something that to hand out at that show because it was like technically supposed to be like a common sense night or something. So it was like just something to pass out as a one like you know that we were there. I don't know. 
So yeah, yeah. So what the show was uh turning point Hogan's Heroes played turning point release Hogan's turning point release intensity played like they snuck in because turning point played two shows that day. They played at CB's with Gorilla Biscuits and then they came down to play that show. So okay. in that time Intensity played a few shows and then the show was opened up by this band. It was from the shore called React. React, yeah. Who, uh, they, the singer kind of like sweet talked his way onto the bill, kind of, if I remember. He was a nice guy. I don't remember his name, but Ed. Yeah. Ed from Ed. React. Yeah. Yeah. Super okay. cool guy. He was super, he was the first guy I met that was like super into Air Jordans, like Air Jordan shirt, Air Jordan shorts. I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. they, they did, uh, it was funny because they the other thing i remember about them was they did drug for youth like the abuse song which at that point was like that was like you know you had to really be down to know that yeah kinda. yes I yes remember they played it at uh scott Pump, uh, our friend had a show on his half pipe and they played and they were like all right we're gonna play drug for youth and everybody thought it was the release song yeah and all these kids are like yeah yeah uh, that's like my memories of that band but anyway yeah yeah um so anyway so yeah we put out that half ish that one and a half issue and we had a hogan's heroes in it and hogan's heroes i believe probably headlined that that city garden yeah, show mm-hmm. um but we just kind of condensed a bunch you know reviews record reviews zine reviews you know a little like um um you know like scene report type of thing i think was in it um and then, and then we, you know, we, we planned on a, a lineup for common sense issue two. And I think with common sense issue two, it was like, it was going to be even bigger and even grander than issue one. You know, I think we wanted to do something, something like even next level, um, probably like offset printed, but not, not, um, newsprint. You know, we wanted to do something probably like, um, in my mind, you know, like something how like smorgasbord was got just an off printed, off print fanzine. Um, but what had happened is I think, you know, the idea was that we were going to make all this money from common sense one, and we would put that money towards common sense two. But for whatever reason, I don't know, we were kids and we just spent the money on whatever. I, I don't know if you remember that, Tony, but like, I don't think we really had like a funds like set up for common sense two. Yeah. I also think and, and, it was like, we were kids. We weren't really thinking like that. Yeah. And, and like, but like, I remember like we got ads in common sense one, like Hawker records paid us for ads and in effect paid us for ads. And that helped for that helped, you know, to put towards the the, the zine. But then for issue two, I don't know if we got lazy with it or we just kind of like, you know, we just put ads in by people that were friends and we didn't really like collect any kind of like money for the ads. I don't remember, but, but basically at the end of the day, when we when we had common sense issue two all done, I remember there being a little bit of a an issue that we just didn't have the money to get it printed. We had the zine all laid out. We had a killer fucking lineup of bands, and you know my sights were set so high to have this thing done like really well, really well and professionally. And we were again, we were just kids, and we just did not have the money to put into it. So my father. Um, worked at a, uh, worked for a corporate, um, airport, uh, he, he worked for a, uh, airline, corporate airline at a, um, um, an airport, a local airport. And so like there was an office in there and they had a, um, a, a Xerox machine. And he, he said, you know, I could probably print the zine for you. And I'm just like, all right. You know, I said, Tony, you know, we could, my dad could just print the zine for me, for us, like just regular, like photocopy, but so we're thinking, let's just run off like 
a hundred, I don't know, however many, I don't have, I actually have no idea how many copies of issue two we did, but my dad printed them for us. And, um, and, and the thought was that, well, we'll sell these and then, um, we will, we will get that money to put towards, you know, reprinting the zine in, in a real way. And it just never happened. Like we just, uh, did we sell these, these zines at a show too? Yeah. Uh, was it the, yeah, I don't remember what show it was. Um, um, I, I wanted to ask about, uh, I know Jason too had questions about the reviews. Oh, it was, okay. it was for, yeah, it was for Tony specifically though, because in, in oh, the first common sense, yeah. in the first common sense, he reviews the vanishing point demo from underdog. Oh. And I didn't think that it was something that was, um, sold at shows or something that was yeah it was just tape trades you know like okay okay just cha- tape trade with people back then um i remember there was a guy who did a fanzine called artificial insanity from new jersey his name was amel and uh he he uh i think he did like the first as far as i know the first turning point interview and uh we were pen pals and i remember him taping me like he used to just send me tapes all the time of of cool stuff that I had never heard before. Yeah. Like I heard like the antidote seven inch from him. Actually, I heard the project X seven inch from him before I heard it anywhere. Cause you know, the project X seven inch came out and it was not easily accepted. You know, I couldn't get that thing, you know? So he, he, uh, he made me a tape of it. Um, but, but yeah, like the underdog demos, I mean, like, you know, once you're in that whole sort of fanzine scene. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was just a matter of, tapes being traded and stuff like that. And, and that's yeah. probably where we got that. You know, one, th- one thing I do want to add, and then you can ask whatever questions you wanted to ask was wh- the one significant thing about issue two uh, was, was that Tony and I did that interview with um, Purcell and Walter in the van outside of the show at city gardens. It was the gorilla biscuits bold show at city gardens. And um, youth of today had not broken up yet, but we're planning to break up. Uh, that at the end of that summer and you know they end up playing their last show at that fender show and so tony and i uh talked to walter and purcell and sat in the the bold van and uh did that did that interview which which i remember just being really fucking cool you know that we could we sat in the in the van and did that interview while, while crucial youth was playing and um I don't know. You know, there was nothing extremely significant that happened, but it was just the idea that we got to do that interview in person. And, uh, you know, it was one of the, you know, like later youth of the day interviews. Yeah. And you had to raise the price to one fifty for that, for that issue number two though. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I said, we had planned to print the zine, uh, you know, another kind an offset printing, but like a different paper, you know, a heavier, like sort of cardstock type of printing, you know, something yeah. like that. We wanted to take it next level. Um, so we raised the price, you know, plus I think it was a bigger zine, you know, um, it probably wouldn't have been easier just to make it $2, like a dollar 50 song. I'm at a show. Like I'd have like a change, like a change belt or whatever. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. 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 But you know, and then also for issue two, I mean, I, I bought more rub off letters. I mean, if you look through it, there's a, there's more, there's more fonts being used. There's now, uh, there's, I'm not really using, um, um, you know, a, a pen or a marker to make the borders. Now I actually have genuine uh, border tape and there's some creative stuff in there. There's some different kinds of border tapes that are like, you know, little squiggly lines. Um, there's different, there's different kinds of backgrounds. I actually went out and I bought a, a book. It was a background book 
Um, so it was just like a, I don't know, a, a 50, 60 page book that every page was a different background, you know, whether it looked like a piece of burlap or, or, um, you know, just cross hatching or, mm-hmm. or stuff like that. And then I also, I was also getting creative in a sense where I was, um, I was creating backgrounds myself. I remember like getting cans of like black spray paint and pouring it into a, you know, a lid. And then I take it and I'd kind of splatter it out, you know what I mean? And, and makes like, I was super like proud of, you know, being able to create like interesting sort of stuff. I'm trying to look through a magazine here and see where I can find that, that splatter background that I did. I don't think it actually ended up like, I thought I just at, saw it. I think I looking saw at it great on... in this. Oh yeah, here it is. It's in the instead interview. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I literally, that's, that's, I, I did that in my basement. I literally took paint, you know, different colors of paint and splattered them out on, on, uh, you know, like a piece of paper and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, I was just, I was getting more creative. Um, and, inspired and, by the bold seven inch or is this, is this before or after the bold? Seven I think inch? this is, this is before the bold. Yeah. Seven I thought inch. so too. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was before the bolt seven inch, but so. yeah, I mean, you know, just, just putting more money into it, uh, you know, do, doing, I think the interviews were, were, we, you know, kicked up the level of the interviews were a little bit better. Um, I think most of these interviews were done over the phone or, you know, in person, we weren't just mailing them to people, you know, mailing questions to people like, uh, we had done for our older zines. Um, I remember the chain of strength interview. I, re- I remember being at Tony's house when he was on the phone with them doing that interview. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, common sense Two was essentially just supposed to be a b- bigger and better version of common sense one. Uh, you know, just putting more money into it, more time into it, you know, more pictures, bigger pictures, yeah. bigger, bigger design, but in the end, it, it just didn't translate as well because um, because of the printing, you know, because we just did that cheap printing that we didn't we, – we, we just did ended up not having enough money to, to go for the offset printing. And uh, it was kind of a bummer because I think if we had done that, um, you know, I think we would have sat back in retrospect and been a lot more – you know, proud of what we did. I mean, not that we're not, or not, you know, I'm not speaking, I don't want to speak for Tony, but not that I'm not proud of what we did, but I think it could have been so much more. And, and then I think the other thing is, you know, with common sense one, as I said, I'm pretty sure there was a thousand copies of that. So that got around everywhere. I mean, I got a copy back everywhere. in 94. So, yeah, I mean, I was, I did a ton of mail order for issue one and I did a lot of trading for issue one. I mean, I would just go through the back of max rock and roll and just go through every zine and just like send people the zine and just be like, Hey, would you trade? Here's mine, you know? Yeah. Or not just Max and rock and roll. Like, you know, I'd go through smorgasbord. I'd go through boiling point. I'd go through schism. I'd whatever zines that had reviews for zines or had ads for zines, you know, I would just send people copies of my zine. Like, Hey, let's trade. I love that whole aspect of trading and communicating and, um, you know, kind of like becoming friends with, with, different people all over the country yeah and um but with issue two i think we sold most of them at a show and did very little mail order for it and uh you know never got around to 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 printing more and it was it's kind of a shame because it's you know in my opinion it's a much better zine than issue one but uh it just we just didn't give it we just didn't give it the attention that it uh you know that it deserved and in the so, intro page, I see there's a photo of mouthpiece in there. 
So this must have been. Yeah. Well, see, that was the other thing. Um, as we were finishing up, because not when we were starting Common Sense Issue 2, but as we were finishing up Issue 2 uh, in 1990, um, I, you know, I was, I was starting to do a band. Yeah. And, you know, for me, you know, start doing, doing fanzines was like my, my introduction into the scene, like my involvement into the scene, meeting people and being, coming an active participating part of the, of the scene. Um, but, you know, I, I think I always wanted more. I always wanted to go to like another level with it. So, um, you know, the next step in my mind was to do a band, you yeah. know, I, to, to, to do a zine is, is cool, but you're just documenting those bands and you're just, you know, um, you're just, you know, interviewing the bands and like, I, I kind of wanted to get to a point where I was one of the bands, you know? So yeah, the, like the pictures, there's a, there's a picture here on the intro page of mouthpiece and that's just in, in uh, our drummer's basement. That's just a practice picture. Like, I don't know if we had played a show or not yet. We, we probably, we probably had, but um, I, I think I had just taken the opportunity to sort of, you know, promote my band a little bit, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm doing this scene. Uh, you know, there's all these pictures of all these great classic bands. And then there's this band mouthpiece. Who the hell is that? You know what I mean? But uh, it was just like, well, I'm going to get this scene all over the world. And people are going to see this picture of this, you know, this band and go, who the hell's that? And, you know, hopefully yeah. we connect, connect the dots. Um, but, but essentially, you know, that is, but that, that's, that's where it went for me. You know, like issue two was great. It just, we just didn't quite, get it all together uh, printed wise and, and out yeah. there as we had hoped. And as that was kind of happening, you know, I was starting mouthpiece and I was just kind of moving into that direction. And, and my focus and attention was, was, was going more towards that. So when we ran out of common sense too, and we still didn't have any money, it was like, uh, Oh shit. All right. Well, look, I'm doing a band now. You know what I mean? Yeah that's kind of, you know, for better, or for worse, you know, I'm not saying that that was cool that I did that, but you know, just re the reality of the situation was, is, is that's, that's where I was. That's where I was focusing. Um, we were, we were starting to play shows and, um, and, uh, you know, this is, th that was ultimately what I wanted to be doing. You know, I wanted to be in a band making records and playing shows and, and hopefully, um, you know, playing shows with some of these bands that I had interviewed in, in, in common sense, yeah, you know, which you did, which, yeah, which yeah. we did eventually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, um, um, and then, you know, Tony, Tony actually, uh, continued kind of doing zines after, after common sense. Um, he did a, a bunch of different zines, um, and he would have to chime in to give all those names and stuff like that. But, you know, while, while I was off doing mouthpiece, he was still doing some zines and, um, but nothing, nothing to the extent of like what common sense was or really nothing to the extent of like what I for an eye was just more like little one-off scenes here and there, you know, but he was still kind of continuing in that sort of, you know, that, that sort of process. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where it went. Hey, um, that's an awesome place to stop. And so I'm, I'm going to, so this will just be, so is, was there ever, um, a boiling point book? Did anyone ever compile the boiling no. point material into a book and why haven't they? No. I mean, you know, back in the nineties, um, there was a time period where 
there was talk of a boiling point book. Okay. Yeah. And I'm talking probably around 95, 96, something like that. And at the time, my girlfriend, now wife, Tracy, she worked at a, at a uh, Photoshop in the mall. And um, she had said, Hey, look, because they had negatives, 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 negatives. Because all those guys, Dennis, Tom, and Tim, all shot for Boiling Point. It wasn't just like one of those guys. So they all shot for Boiling Point, and they had tons and tons of negatives. So it was like, really, it was too many negatives for them to even um, uh, consider like printing because it was just so expensive, you know? Yeah. So somehow or another it got back to us that they were looking for an op looking for options of printing negatives because they wanted to do this book. And, um, uh, it, you know, Tracy had worked at this photo place and was like, look, I can do, I can print these, I can print all these negatives for you and I'll do them all for you for free. But like, we got to get copies of them for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, sure. As long as you don't do anything with it. And like, it's not like we were going to go put a bootleg uh, boiling point book out or anything yeah. like that, you know? So I'm like, look, I just want to see the pictures. I don't care, you know? Uh, and they were all cool with that. You know, I don't remember who was on, but I know Tim was definitely involved. I don't know if, if maybe Tom a little bit, I don't know if Dennis was, I've actually never met Dennis. Uh, Cause I think Dennis had moved to the West coast um, in the, you know, like 89 or 90 or something like that. So I'd never met Dennis, but I met Tim and Tom. Okay. Um, but yeah, so Tracy developed all the negatives that they had given us and gave them all copies of everything. And, um, but you know, nothing, nothing ever came of it. And then even over the past like 20 years or, or, or so I've heard, you know, whispers about a, a boiling point book. Yeah. I'd um, love to see that. But, you know, between all the photos that these guys took and, and the zines themselves, I mean, it's just phenomenal stuff. And those guys were so ahead of their, you know, ahead of their time with, with what they were doing. I mean, it wasn't only how cool the stuff looked because the stuff looked really fucking cool. I mean, they really set a precedence for what things looked like back then, you know, in, mm-hmm. in 1988, you know, uh, with, with their kind of their backgrounds and their, the, you know, the big giant photos bleeding from one page to another. And, um, you know, actually one, I think it's issue, I think it's a back cover of two and a half. I don't have it out in front of me, but it's got that, um, or is it the back issue, back cover of two where it's got that film strip. Have you guys okay. seen that? It's got that film strip where it was, it was announcing the next issue that was coming. And, um, yeah, I guess it was two and a half because I believe there was a chain of strength picture in there. Okay. And it's got like, they took like a film strip and then they imposed, you know, halftone photographs in each fo- each uh, film strip piece, yeah. you know, of each band that was going to be in the next issue. And I just remember thinking, holy shit, that's incredible. I just thought that was the coolest fucking thing that they were, they were able to do that. And... Um, um, but yeah, I mean, they just had such great, you know, Tim, I think Tim uh, did most of the design work, you know, and then Tom and, and Dennis did the, you know, most of the, the writing, I'm sure they all did a little bit of everything, but, um, but yeah, that to see a book come out of that, it would be incredible. And, yeah. uh, I mean, hopefully some days, yeah, hopefully some days it happens, you know, um, I mean, it's never too late this day and age for something like that to come together. But, um, yeah, keep my fingers crossed. 
I'm gonna you keep guys mine should do, double should, crossed. Since you have these scans, have you guys thought about doing something through like Shining Life, like just putting together like a no, print, no, not really. I mean, we haven't. I mean, Tony and I have talked about things in the past about doing something, but I mean, the thing is, is is you know, with common sense, we've only got two and a half issues. You know, it's like it's just it's not a lot. It's it, it's there's good stuff in there, but it's it's just not like a it's not enough. Maybe like to one put of those little like um like the contention zine. I got that book, and it's like yeah, pretty pretty like just, just know, a thicker fanzine. Yeah, yeah, be cool. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I it would be cool. It is cool that we do have the layouts for issue two. And I do have the, the layouts for issue one and a half, which I realized I never ended up scanning and sending you guys. But um, I do have those. I, I don't know what the hell happened to issue one layouts. I don't know if, if they got left at the printers or if Tony had them and they just got, you know, lost in a move somewhere. I'm not really sure. Um, but, you know, I'm sure we could scan them and, and put something together. Um, I don't know if I told you guys this before, but, you know, when I started doing double cross, um, you know, that the, the whole like fanzine thing was still in my blood. You know, I still wanted to do some sort of printed fanzine. And that's what, you know, Double Cross was supposed to initially be was a, a printed fanzine. Um, but as I when it turned into a online thing, um, the the original plan was to do like volumes uh, as as like books. So I would do like, you know, Double Cross volume one would be like the first year of of all the material that we had in, on, on the site. And, um, you know, at some point I kind of thought maybe it would be cool to bring common sense into that, you know, be like double cross common sense sort of, you know, book or something like that, you know, but, um, I don't know, who knows, maybe someday that'll happen. It's, it's not really on my radar right now. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is in this day and age, it's not as easy to put stuff like this out because of the credits that you need to yep. give people yeah, for photos. I know you, you had told us about the whole thing with the yeah, the what had happened with the, yeah, with the, the double cross, yeah, the photo. Um, so, so yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, there may be a photo in in Common Sense issue two that somebody took that we don't know who took it, and you know, we go and put it out as a, a book or something, and somebody sues us. You know, it's just you have to get. Uh, you know, you have to get permission from, from everybody. And, and then if, if, if that photographer is not alive anymore, you got to find out who you got to contact for that. You know, it's like, it just goes. So, I mean, that's why really, that's why I never did anything with the double cross stuff because it it's just so complex. I mean, I suppose like a lawyer attorney. Yeah. You need a lawyer and I, and I need somebody else to, to bring into the, you know, picture here to, to get involved and, and do a side. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with contact and, you know, photographers and, and, and finding out, you know, do we have to pay you for this? And, and, you know, I get it. I understand it's just, it's their work and everything like that. Um, it's just that I came up in a time where when I did common sense and slew where everybody just traded photos, there was no, you know, we, we didn't buy photos from people, you know, we just traded photos. We credited them. Yeah. And, and that was that, you know, that it was just a much simpler world at that time. And I know we're not there anymore and that's fine. You know, things change, but, um, it just doesn't make things very easy to do something like that at this point. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for chatting and, you know, we'll, we'll
What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, G. Jason Head, Jeremy Holohan, Greg Jackson, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Logan Weasel, Maddie Cox, Nate of Head to Wall fame, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. If you're interested in helping us out, please visit www.whereitwentpodcast.com. And there's information about our Patreon and all kinds of other cool stuff. We'll see you next episode. Bidipo.